year, as you know, where most of you expected to come in today and hear a sermon about vision. You know what, 2022 is going to be our best year yet, and this is what we're going to accomplish, and this is what we're going to do, and it's going to be awesome, and you end up getting a pep talk, a pep rally, if you will, to rally the troops for the new year. I'm not doing that this year. If the Holy Spirit can't rally you, then you can't be rallied. We're doing a magnificent work here. God's doing a magnificent work here. Let us be rallied about that. Let us be excited about that. Let us be joyful about that. Amen? And I don't minimize it any kind of way, but we know where we're going. We're going to a place where God will be known because we're in that place. And people will find freedom. And people will discover their purpose. And we, as a body of believers, will make a difference in our church and in our community. That's where we're going. And so I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking. Matter of fact, that's all the time I'm going to spend talking about that. What I am going to talk to you about is the only way that we can make that happen. And that is to make a decision. Are we going to be people that are prideful or humble? Are we going to walk in pride or humility? What you're capable of doing in the kingdom of God rests on your ability to be prideful or humble. Prideful thinking you can accomplish it on your own or humble enough to recognize you can accomplish nothing without God in Christ Jesus. And so I challenge today, the challenge today is to ask yourself that question. Will I be prideful or will I be humble? There's a lot of bad stuff happened last year. There's a lot of bad stuff happened the year before that. There's a lot of bad stuff happened the year before that, and the year before that, and the year before that, and the year before that. And we've seen some loss. We've seen some pain. We've seen some destruction, whether by disease or by tornadoes. And last year, tornadoes again this year just about leveled half of Kentucky. And I can tell you, you know what? 2022 is going to be different. But in regard to those kinds of things, I can't promise you that. Because the Bible says that the world groans still because of the curse that it's under. And it's going to continue to groan until Jesus comes back for us. Our job is to stand in it. To stand in faith, believing that God is who God says He is. And that's, that's where I want to start today. I want to, I want to tell you very simply, that it doesn't matter what you've gone through. And I don't minimize your pain or your discomfort or your displeasure or your lack. If you're a believer, you have a promise from God. And a promise from God supersedes every other promise you've ever heard in your life. And that promise is the 828 promise that we know. Everybody say, we know. That's a, that's a declaration. We know. There's no question. 
But we know that God causes all things. How many things? All things. Not the good things, not the bad things, not the things that we don't understand. He causes all things to work together for good to those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. The question is, do you love Him and do you have a purpose? Has He placed a purpose on your life? And if you say that as a believer, then you have the promise that that is true over your life. That He's going to work whatever you've dealt with out for your own good. And ultimately for His glory. And I find great comfort in that. Because you know what it means? It means it doesn't matter what's happened, God's still God. He hasn't abdicated His throne. He hasn't stepped down off of His holy mountain. He hasn't vacated His holy tent. He's still a God of joy, still a God of peace. He's still a banner of victory that flies over us. He is still a strong tower. He is still the strength of His people and the horn of their salvation according to the Word of God. All of these things are true according to the Word of God. He hasn't he hasn't forsaken you, but sustained you, according to the book of Hebrews. That the world, regardless of what's happening in it, no one can stand opposed to you if God is for you. Man, that's good. Because there's a lot that seems to be opposed to the Christian these days. But can I tell you, there's nothing that stands against God or that stands against you, can stand because it also, because you belong to Him, stands against Him. And the same text of Scripture out of Romans chapter 8 states that not only is that true, that no enemy can come against you and prosper, but that no one can remove you from His care. It doesn't matter the stuff that's going on. God still holds you diligently. God still holds you tightly. He hasn't forgotten you. Like I said, He hasn't forsaken you. He is still a God of peace, joy, and empowerment. And I praise God for that. We need to acknowledge who God is. And in order to acknowledge who God is, we have to be willing to acknowledge who we aren't. And that's God. We have to ask ourselves a pretty simple question. Have we, or does God still sit on His throne? Or have we determined to allow ourselves to sit on His throne? Or on our own throne, as it were? Our responsibility is to give Him His place while accepting our place. The only way we can answer those questions is by asking this one. Will I be a person of pride or will I be a person of humility? I am convinced that every sin hangs on this question. Will we be a person of pride or be a person of humility? Because all sin is derivative of a prideful nature. Rebellion is a prideful sin. And all sin is rebellion. And so all sin that is rebellion must also be prideful. So we have to ask ourselves, are we going to be 
this year, next year, the year after that, the year after that, prideful or humble? Are we going to submit our plans to God? Are we going to hear the Word of God? Are we going to do what God tells us to? Or are we like children, going to stomp our feet, hold our breath until we pass out to show that we know better? And that sounds funny, but how many of us have done something very similar to that in our life? God, I know what you're saying, but I ain't got time for that. And it, has it ever worked for you? It hasn't for me. Today in 1 Kings chapter 3, I'm going to be discussing, I'm going to, I'm going to teach, like I said, almost through the whole chapter while pulling out the principles of the text as I go. Because I want to compare, contrast if you will, the difference between pride and what pride looks like, and humility, and what humility looks like. And this text does it beautifully. So 2 Kings chapter 3. The first question I'm going to ask is, will you be prideful? And then I'm going to give you some statements to, add, to filter your life through to see if you are prideful. And that first statement is, pride pursues the look of righteousness. Pride pursues the look of righteousness. Verses 1-3 through three read like this, Now Jehoram, the son of Ahab, became king over Israel at Samaria in the 18th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, and reigned 12 years. He did evil in the sight of the Lord, though not like his father and his mother, for he put away the sacred pillar of Baal, which, was, which his father had made. Nevertheless, he clung to the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which he made Israel sin. He did not depart from them. What does that mean? Let me explain to you what that means. It means that he took, he tried his best in public to look righteous. The prideful will always try to look righteous in public. And how do I draw this from the text? Because it says that he did the same sins his father committed, but he put away the pillars of Baal. The public displays of unrighteousness, he removed them, but still practiced unrighteousness, still allowed Baal worship to happen. So he removed from the center of town, he removed from the sight of the people unrighteousness while still being unrighteous. This is, a, this is a consequence of pride in our life. When we decide that our public display of righteousness is more important than our personal display of righteousness. And let me tell you, if you're not righteous both in public or private, you're not righteous in either one. But we determine that we're going to set ourselves aside. We're going to act this way when people are watching. We're going to act this way when people aren't watching. I'm going to have my sacred face, my righteous face in public. I'm going to have my sinful face in my private place. And let me tell you, there is no private place to an ever-present God. He sees you where you are, and you will bear the consequence of whatever your righteousness or lack of righteousness looks like at the end of your life, if not before. Amen? We have to be people that understand that God is righteous and expects us to be righteous. 
We come to church. We feel good about coming to church. I feel good about coming to church. Y'all feel good about coming to church? I do too. I like my little dress sport coats. Sometimes I wear my sweaters. Feel good about that. You know? I talk church lingo. I give. My wife and I tithe. We sing the songs. We do all the stuff. Some of you serve here. You do everything to make it look like you removed the bell from your life. But as soon as you leave here, you go to your secret place and put your cloak of unrighteousness back on. God didn't call us to be this way. God didn't call us to be hypocritical. The pride, hypocrisy is a result of pridefulness. In Matthew chapter 23, verse 14, 15, 23, 25, 27, and 29, and I know you probably didn't write that down, so just go read Matthew chapter 23. Jesus condemns two groups of people over and over and over again. The scribes and the Pharisees. You know who the scribes and the Pharisees were? They were the publicly righteous face of the Jewish nation. And in each one of those verses, it starts out like this. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. And then he explains why they're hypocritical in each one of those areas, in each one of those verses. Do you know what woe to you means? It means judgment to you. Those of you who should be righteous and act righteously in public but aren't actually righteous because you're hypocritical. There's judgment for the hypocritical. There's judgment for those who have a private face and a public face. People say, and I don't know whether it's a compliment or not, but they say, Pastor Jim, you're the same person no matter where you are. And I said, that's right, because God's where I'm at no matter where I'm at. Like I said, I'm still yet to determine whether that's a compliment or not, but that's what they say. The prideful will always try to look righteous. This year, let's stop trying to look righteous and just pursue righteousness. Recognizing that sometimes we're going to fail. Sometimes we're going to fall flat on our face, but I praise God that we have Christ Jesus to plead to, who makes intercession on our behalf, so that when we do, we can once again be righteous through repentance. Yes, thank you, Lord, indeed. Otherwise, we'd all be a hot mess. But it says, or I say, Stop trying to look righteous and chase righteousness. Not only does it try to look righteous, but more often than not, pride will try to protect its own authority. Verses 4 through 7. Now Mesha, king of Moab, was a sheep breeder and used to pay the king of Israel 100,000 lambs and the wool of 100,000 rams. Just so you know, in today's money, because I did some research about how much all that stuff was, in today's money, that's $15 million a year. Pay the, about. The king of Israel, 100,000 lambs, and the wool of 100,000 lambs. But then Ahab died. The king of Moab rebelled against the king of Israel, 
and King Jehoram went out of Samaria at the same time and mustered all of Israel. And he went and said, sent word to Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, saying, The king of Moab has rebelled against me. Will you go with me to fight against Moab? And he said, I will go up. I am as you are. My people are your people. My horses are your horses. Let me explain to you what happened. He got offended. You guys ever been offended? Somebody didn't give you your due respect? This $15 million worth of stuff was a tribute to the king of Israel, the northern kingdom. It was a way of submitting to Israel to show that Israel was superior so that they wouldn't attack them, so that they would be peaceful with them. And so when Moab said, I'm not doing that anymore, he's saying, I'm not recognizing your authority anymore. And so he determined that he was going to be offended and try to pursue his own authority. He was trying to protect his own authority. What's the problem with that? There's no authority except that which has been given by God. Many of us walk around mad all the time because we think somebody stole something from us. Somebody took some position of authority from us. Somebody took some level of control from us. When in fact the Word of God says we don't have any control. God is sovereign over all things. We're just living in the world that He created. And then He did what all of us do. He didn't just get offended because somebody insulted His authority. He got bitter about it and made a plan to go to war against Moab. Let me take a second and warn you. Your frustration will always turn to anger. Your anger will always turn to bitterness, and your bitterness will destroy you. So he got bitter about it and decided he was going to go to war. Then he did what all of us do when we get mad about something. We go rally our friends. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Hey, you can believe what Pastor Jim said to me. He must have lost his mind talking to me all crazy. Don't he know who I am? The answer is probably not. If I talk to you crazy, it's because it's what the Word of God said. People leave the church like they walked into the church. Let me explain what I mean. When people first come here, in any church, really, that I've been to, they go to a church the first time, they get excited about it, they're hearing, they're hearing new preaching, may not even be good preaching, it's just new to them. They haven't grown accustomed to the drone of the pastor's voice yet. And so they're all, man, that pastor really puts it down down there. A year from now, you're going to be all, I don't get fed here. Well, that's because you don't water yourself. But anyway... I'm going to get off on a rant. I need to focus. So they get excited. They call all their friends. They say, hey, you need to come check out Launch Point Church, or you need to come check out whatever church. This church is amazing. The people are awesome. The worship is good. The preaching is good. The children's ministry is good. The Spirit of God is moving. People are getting saved, blah, 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 all this kind of stuff. And our friends all show up. But people leave the same way. In their bitterness, they leave the same way. In their offense, they leave the same way. They say, Pastor Jim hurt my feelings. 
They gather those friends that they talk to to come. And they say, you still my friend? Pastor Jim ain't my friend no more. I'm going to leave. And they come up with a plan and they all leave the church. You know, I can bear evidence in, that, in this truth in the fact that there are more churches planted through division than through unity. Do you know that? More churches are planted because other people got mad and left and decided that that pastor's not anointed anymore. This guy's anointed. No, this guy's just loud. And he convinced you to be loud with him. And you're going to go breed that loudness somewhere else and create a toxicity in the kingdom of God that should never exist. I'm getting way off subject here, but I feel like maybe we need to hear this moving into the next year. Don't protect your own authority. You have no authority. And don't poison people with your bitterness. That's what the prideful do. The prideful maintain a look of righteousness without being righteous. The prideful protect their own authority. The prideful gather people around them to fight fights that don't need to be fought or shouldn't be fought. I get calls. Well, I technically scratch that. I don't get calls. I don't get calls all the time when people leave here. Can I ask you a favor? If you're going to leave, can you tell me? And I know that sounds silly, but I'm, I'm going I'm to open up a window into my life for you, real quick. I stay up nights praying and weeping over this congregation and the hurt that they suffer. For the people who have lost loved ones that haven't come to the Lord yet. And I'm not saying this to be braggadocious. I give my life to the work of God so that we might all end up in heaven together. Some people consider that such a small thing. They would just leave without telling me they're leaving. Now, not only am I hurting for them, I'm wondering if they're okay. Don't protect your offense. The prideful protect their offense. Let your offense be known. Tell me how bad I am. Tell me I'm a bad pastor. Tell me whatever. I... I, I'm not offended by you. Trust me, I've been punching them out too many times to be offended by anything that comes out of your mouth. But maybe, just maybe, I can minister to you and make you see the piece of the puzzle you're not holding. Don't protect your offense, but the prideful try to protect their authority. This is what happens. As the Bible says in Proverbs 16, 18, pride comes before destruction. And pride prepares its own place for destruction. Verses 8 through 10. He said, which way shall we go up? And he answered, the way of the wilderness of Edom. So let me, let me make sure you understand this. The king of Israel... All his armies, generals, and all that are with him. He goes south. 
picks up the king of Judah and all his armies and generals and all of that. And then they go through Edom by the, via the south edge of um, the Dead Sea. Pick up that king and all his armies. And then they're going to go up to the west side of the Dead Sea and attack Moab. That's the plan. Which way shall we go? He said, the way of the wilderness of Edom. So the king of Israel, and the king of Judah, and the king of Edom made a circuit of seven days' journey, and there was no water for the army or for the cattle that followed them. Then the king of Israel said, Alas, for the Lord has called these three kings to give them into the hand of Moab. Let me explain. These three kings get together and they decide to protect the offense of their friend. They're all going to get together and they're going to go against Moab. And so they gather all the supplies, gather all the animals that they need because animals equal food and all the people that they need, all the equipment that they need and then they, they move around the Dead Sea up through Edom and take a seven-day journey into the desert. Which is a great idea if the rainfall that comes that time of year, every year, happens to fall. But apparently it didn't. Because there was no water for them. So here they are now. Stuck out in the desert. Seven days. Traveled. About to die dehydrated, and this king has the audacity to say this. Then the king of Israel said, Alas, for the Lord has called these three kings to give them into the hand of Moab. I can't take anything away from the Word of God. I can't add anything to the Word of God. But I can't find anywhere within this story, within this Word, that it says they consulted God about any of this. But they want to blame God for it? Pride ends up in destruction because pride makes its own plan. And let me tell you, your plan will always fail if you don't consult God. You're all, I don't know, I prospered in that. You prospered for right now. But you won't prosper in the long run, I promise you. Seek the face of God before you make your plan. Allow Him to make your plan for you. But even if you don't, if you just decide, I'm going to do what I want to do, if you're going to be ignorant and walk in rebellion, don't blame it on God when it gets all jacked up and turned around. When you find yourself in a desert about to die, take responsibility for yourself. The prideful always want to blame somebody else for their bad decision making. And these three kings, who should have known better, decided to blame God for their bad decision maker. For their bad decision making. When God had nothing to do with what they had done. And here they are in their prideful place, about to be destroyed. They're bearing the consequence of their pride. Listen, they're in a good place. You know why? Because humility, more often than not, 
comes from the consequence of the discipline associated with pride. God will take your pride, discipline you, and create humility in you. So they're in a good place, even though they don't realize it. And they ask this question. Well, this question, the second question in regard to that, will you be humble? Because humility acknowledges God's presence. And that's exactly what they do. Having been forced to come face to face with God, they, they acknowledge God's presence. In verse 11 and 12, we read this. But Jehoshaphat, that's the king of Judah, said, is there not a prophet of the Lord here? You want to know why he... Why he wanted a prophet of the Lord? Because the Spirit of the Lord weighed on the prophet. The Word of God come from the prophet back then. They didn't carry the Holy Spirit around like we did. The prophet did. And so they were wanting to hear from God. So they said, is there not a prophet amongst us? That we may inquire of the Lord by him? And one of the king of Israel's servants answered and said, Elisha, the son of Shaphat is here, who used to pour water on the hands of Elijah. Jehoshaphat said, the word of the Lord is with him. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat and the king of Edom went down to him. Before I get started on this point, notice that it says they went down to him. These three kings recognized they had made some horrible decisions in their pridefulness and had been humbled by their consequence. And instead of calling the man of God to them, they shuffle their feet with their head down and walk into the presence of God. It's okay to make mistakes. It's not okay to walk arrogantly into the presence of God expecting God to fix your mistake. So they went to Him. That's good preaching right there. To seek God's presence. This is the point I want to make here though. Out of all the kings, three kings, Three armies. All the soldiers. I'm sure there were probably some officials there. Really important folks. Supply chain demand. All that requires very important people. None of them, after seven days' journey through the desert, knew that Elisha was even with them. They're traveling together. You know who God revealed Himself to? The servant. It says this. And one of the king of Israel's servants answered and said, Elisha, the son of Shaphat, is here. Isn't that beautiful? You know why, you know why I think that's beautiful? I guess I should start there. Because as is God's way, He reveals Himself most beautifully to the servant, to the humble to those who can accept what he's saying. One of the incredible stories in Scripture is Jesus at his final discourse before he starts telling all the disciples about what's about to happen and, and how he's about to be crucified and all of these things. While all that's happening, starting in the upper room, before he begins to disclose his, his true plan to his disciples, he dismissed... Judas, the only one that couldn't be trusted with that information. People say, I don't hear from God. 
Can God trust you enough to disclose Himself to you? Are you humble enough that God can disclose Himself to you? Are you going to be the servant that God wants to disclose Himself to so that you might be the wise counsel in someone else's otherwise upside-down world? That's how we make God known. By being the servant that was humble enough to have God disclose Himself to us so that we can make Him known to other people. Amen? That's what humility looks like. Not only does humility acknowledge God's presence, it accepts and acts on God's Word. I've seen people... I've seen a bunch of people. Yeah. They'll hear preaching and they'll, man, that's a good word. I've had people come up and tell me that's a good word. And then that's the last time we see them. But they'll say, man, that's a good word. And it seems like they forget what it was before they leave the room. They don't hear it. They're around it. We need to accept it. We need to accept the Word of God. But not only accept it, but act on it. 13 through 19 reads like this. Now Elisha said to the king of Israel, What do I have to do with you? Go to the prophets of your father, to the prophets of your mother. And the king of Israel said to him, No, for the Lord has called these three kings together to give, him, give them into the hand of Moab. So the king of Israel, the wicked king of Israel, is still making this stupid claim. And Elisha looked at him, at the king, this prophet, who's subject to being killed because that's what they did back then. They killed prophets that they didn't like hearing about or from. This prophet looked at the king and says, As the Lord of hosts lives from before whom I stand, were it not that I regard the presence of Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, I would not even look at you nor see you. Man, that's mighty bold talk for a one-eyed fat man. Some of y'all got that. That's bold talk. But you know what? And this isn't in my notes necessarily, but I think it's important. Humility doesn't mean weakness. Humility doesn't mean that you're wishy-washier, that you submit to the unrighteous. Humility says that I hear the Word of God and I act upon the Word of God. He was willing to confront the king and say, were it not for this man who knows God, I wouldn't even talk to you. I'm not even sure why I'm looking at you right now. Do you know you could still be humble and bold at the same time? And you should be. You know why he was able to be humble and bold at the same time? Because he knew he was speaking from the mouth of God, or would be, or represents God in that situation. So be bold, but be humble, because you represent God in more situations than you know. Then he goes on. So he, he kind of dogs him out, and then he says this, but now bring me a minstrel. He said, bring me a harpist, which is funny to me. Like he just all, you're the worst. I wouldn't even bother with you. Bring me a fiddle. You know? It's just funny to me. I mean, I understand why, because it, it's, it, but still, it's funny to me. And it came about when the minstrel played 
that the hand of the Lord came upon him. Which means that God moved on him. And he said, Thus says the Lord, Make this valley full of trenches. For thus says the Lord, You shall not see wind, nor shall you see rain. Yet that valley shall be filled with water, that you shall drink both you and your cattle and your beasts. This is but a slight thing in the sight of the Lord. He will also give the Moabites into your hand. Then you will strike every fortified city and every choice city and fell every good tree and stop all springs of water and mar every good piece of land with stones. They had to accept the Word of God and act on the Word of God. Which ain't easy. Y'all know the situation they're in, right? They've traveled three or seven days, dehydrated in the desert. And the word of God from Elisha was this. In this desert heat, even though you're dehydrated, I want you to get your shovels out, and I want you to dig so many trenches that this valley's going to be full of trenches. What's the flesh automatically think? Man, we're already dehydrated. If God don't show up, we, we for sure going to die. That's faith. God called them to a place of faith so he could use, so he could show himself powerful to them. That's exactly what he does. They accepted the word of God and they acted on it. They dug that valley full of trenches. Sometimes we make stupid plans. And in our discipline, God fixes that problem in us. Just know, there's probably going to be some work that's going to need to be done to get you back where you should have been in the first place. To act and to accept the Word of God is no small thing. And then finally, humility walks in victory. 20 through 24, it happened in the morning about the time of the offering. The sacrifice, that's early. As the sun's coming up. Then behold, water came by the way of Edom. And the country was filled with water. Remember, there wouldn't be any rain. But the, but the whole land is filled with water. God performed a miracle. He filled all of those ditches. with. I'm wanting you to hear that. In the middle of the desert with no rain. God did what God said He would do even though it didn't make any sense. God is great at doing stuff that doesn't make any sense. People are all, are you telling me the earth stood still? Or the sun stood still? That's exactly what I'm telling you if that's what the Bible tells you. Well, that's not possible. Anything's possible with God. He created it. You don't think He could stop it for just a second? But He took this otherwise dry valley and filled it with water. Now all the Moabites heard that the king had come up to fight against them. And all who were able to put on armor and older were summoned and stood on the border. And so they did what good soldiers do. The king of Moab says, man, these three kings have come against us. I don't know if they had a spy out there or somebody that knew. But they heard about it. They got all armored up. They went out to their border. And they were looking to go on offense instead of wait on defense because you're more likely to win in the offense, especially in the early morning time because people are still groggy and half asleep and all that jazz. They rose early in the morning, and the sun shone on the water. 
And the Moabites saw the water opposite them as red as blood. Now that doesn't make any sense unless you understand the geography. This valley was east-west orientation. It being early in the morning, as the sun was coming up over the desert, as the sun often does over water, it turned orange and red and made them believe that that wasn't water because they would have known there was no rain. It wouldn't have made any sense for this, these trenches to be full of water. And so they assumed that must be blood. And then they build this story in their mind. And I bet these three kings had a disagreement last night and all their armies went at each other and they killed each other. There was a great slaughter among them and this whole valley's full of blood. Today is our day. And it says they did this. But when they came to the camp of Israel, the Israelites arose. Remember I told you it was early. The best time to attack someone is when they're, when they're about half asleep. Arose and struck the Moabites because they had fled before them. So they had fled before them and they went forward into the land slaughtering the Moabites. How did they have victory? They were asleep when the Moabites came into their camp. Because they were walking in their pride, in their pridefulness and their arrogance. Praise God, these three kings had already gotten over that. God had already showed them how to walk in humility. And so they just got up, surprised the arrogant, and overtook them by the power of God. Man, God will bring victory in your humility. And there was a great victory in the land. Everything that God said He would do on their behalf, He did. And so the questions that I've asked today are simple. Are you going to be prideful or are you going to be humble? There's a consequence for pride. There's blessings in humility. Did you know you can't expect to receive anything from God if you're not humble? For He opposes the proud, but what does He give to the humble? Grace. How are we saved? By faith through grace. We have to have faith that grace is sufficient for us. And Bible says that God gives that grace to those who are humble. Here's why. Because if you're too arrogant to know you need help, you're never going to ask for help. If you're too arrogant to realize that you're in sin... You're never going to ask for forgiveness for that sin. Why am I not doing a vision teaching this week? Because answering these two questions, will I be humble or will I be prideful, will set the tone of not just this year, but every year of your life. Because it puts God back on the throne. He, he's never left in the first place. And that's my prayer for you. That's my hope for you that you recognize in your humility that you have what you have for one reason. Because Jesus Christ died to give it to you. Your victory is a product, not just of your humility, but more importantly, His. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, in Jesus' name, we love You. Thank You, Heavenly Father, that You love us, that You show Yourself so mighty when we get ourselves all turned around and backwards and we, we don't consult You and we end up in a hot mess, God, You 
are faithful to bring us back to you. And so God, that's my prayer request. That's what I'm asking of you. Where we still harbor pride, burn it out of us. Tear it out of us. Discipline it out of us. Whatever it looks like, Lord, that we might be humble, that we might glorify you in everything we do, recognizing that we have no ability to accomplish anything without your hand in and on our lives. I pray a special blessing over every person in this church. God, I thank you that all your promises are true. All those that I read at the beginning and so many more. That you hold us, that you're our you're the strength and the horn of our salvation. God, we submit to you. Teach us how. We praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.